tip in the air, caught by the Bengals. AJ Green. It's complete. Caught by Boyd. Tyler Boyd. Touchdown. Remarkable. Oh, oh, it's That's William Jackson. No one near him. Uh, it's going to go to Mixon, dancing around, edging to the right, inside the five, high stepping into the end zone. The first time Burrow to the end zone, wide open, touchdown. It's Higgins. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Bengals Report podcast. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am Jake Circus. He is Blake Jewel. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Circus at Blake Jewel NFL. And also follow our uh, Bengals Report Twitter at Bengals Report underscore. We have a very special guest for this episode. Um, Bengals Twitter guy, John Sheeran. I, I, I didn't really know what to introduce you as, but uh, make sure to follow his podcast. We had Matt on a few weeks ago, and John is uh, uh, doing the podcast, the Orange Block Insider podcast with, with uh, Coach Matt Minch and a couple of other people as well. So make sure to follow them at Bengals OBI. Follow John on Twitter at John underscore Sheeran. John, how you doing today? Bengals Twitter guy probably fits about as well. <laughs> like, I, I'm, it's 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 just it's just the reputation, you know. So it, yeah, it, it fits. Thanks, thanks guys for having me on. Yeah, so we are very excited to have to have John on. And uh, sorry we we missed last week. There was some busy stuff going on, but uh, we are back this week. Every I think we're going to this can post it on Wednesday, Blake. So every, probably every Wednesday f- from now on is um, our our upload day. But lots of stuff to get into. The Bengals did lose the Miami Dolphins on Sunday, but uh, since it's, it's it's midweek, we're going to talk about start with our head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, Zach Taylor. Now Zach has gotten a lot of heat over the last couple of weeks, and really ever since you know. I would say the the Colts game is is when it started, but ever since Joe Burrow got injured, like since the offense has been playing so poorly, Zach has really gotten a lot of heat for how he's doing, not only on the field, but now it's inside the locker room. So, uh, John, I'll start with you because we've we've talked about it on on this podcast before. So, I want to get your thoughts on you know where you stand with the Bengals' current state of the locker room and just the off the, the the poor performance that we've seen of them on the field over the last couple of weeks. If, if it smells like trash and it looks like trash, it's probably trash. You know, <laughs> it's it's like I, I just go back to that Cleveland game and, and how that ended like in the second street week of, of a defensive collapse despite a good performance from Joe Burrow. And that's when I think things started to leak about um, – internal disputes and struggles within the locker room a couple weeks later the at least jesse report uh gets gets released and like uh, and obviously that's the carlos dunlap thing happened some other players started speaking out on twitter that that stuff's kind of subsided since dunlap has been traded but like when the losing just persists and when it gets uglier like it's it's just hard to buy into the notion that that things aren't as bad as they actually are and maybe it isn't the entire locker room that is feeling this way but if if enough are and especially if enough veteran players are and they're feeling disgruntled and they're just losing faith in a plan that isn't a plan it's just losing is the plan i guess like it's it's just hard to see it being better than what it's being advertised as and it, it would be impressive if things could get turned around within the next year if they if they continue to have the same captain to the ship, but it's just it's just hard to bank on it with, with with how everything's going on. You know, a quarterback can only do so much when 
when that goes down and that goes out the window, it's like everything else kind of unravels. That's kind of what we're seeing right now. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to give the, you know, the backup quarterback excuse, you know, I was kind of thinking that, you know, the first game, you know, we'll give him a little bit of a break, but it's just, it's just like, it'd be different if things were going well when he had Joe Burrow, but they weren't. And I think, uh, my, the Miami game, even though that, you know, all things considered, that's kind of been my breaking point. I feel like I've been pr- probably overly fair to Zach Taylor uh, since he's been here and, you know, in my articles and on the podcast and stuff. But I'm I'm, pr- I'm at the point where I'm pretty much about over it. And, uh, you know, they're, they're 4, 23, and 1 since he's been there. That's just unacceptable. And then you go to the away, the away game record on the road. Where he's, I believe it's 014 and one. I don't really have the number on me, but I know it's it's just not good. And then, uh, you know, I had that article come out today about them in the third quarter since he's been there, and they're, they're offensively in the third quarter, they're the worst team in the league since Zach Taylor's been the coach. So it's, you know, you got the halftime ad- adjustment issue, and then you're having the issue with players, you know, speaking out and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I think it's just all kind of coming down on Zach Taylor now, and I think that. I think if you keep if you hold on to him uh, after this year and uh, give him his third year, I think you're just delaying the inevitable at that point. Right, and that's that's actually a, a really good point. Now, there there have been lots of excuses that have been made over the last year and a half or so to you know because pe- people were so optimistic when Zach came in because it's been like it was so long overdue to get Marvin out of here, and and they finally brought in someone young, someone new, someone fresh. So like this, this really came as expected, all these excuses. But now I, I tweeted this the other day after watching the Giants play against Seattle, t- shorthanded back at quarterback, watching the Dolphins play. And that's at some points of the year, watching the Cardinals play and what they look like uh, under Cliff Kingsbury. I came up with four excuses that simply just can no longer be tolerated for the Bengals. Number one, we're too injured. I get you're, you're playing without a pass rush. I get you're playing without cornerback too. And of course I get you're playing without Joe Burrow, but it's not like the giants didn't have injuries or, or the dolphins or, or the Cardinals. Number two, the division is hard. You just can't use that excuse anymore. You have to win. You have to win divisional games. You can't go one and 11 in your division. Number three, young coach growing pains. Well, Joe Judge started one and seven. He turned it around during his bye week. Like, and then number four, wait for these draft picks to develop. I mean, Austin Jackson for the Dolphins is producing. Um, Solomon Kinley is producing. Andrew Thomas started slow, but now, but now he's producing. Matthew Pert is producing for the Giants. So these four excuses just can no longer be tolerated. The Bengals whiffed this coaching hire, and they simply just whiffed. You have to get it right. You can't win without a head coach. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, I kind of gave him a little – I said something last week along the lines of, you know, I'd like to see maybe Zach Taylor with uh, – you know, I feel like, you know, Lou Anarumo and uh, Jim Turner were kind of holding the team down more than he was. And then I kind of looked at it, you know, a little a little further. And I kind of came to the conclusion that wasn't the case. And, uh, you know, there's been – it's just been a long time to where, you know, Zach's had plenty of chances to prove himself uh, that he can be a head coach in the league. And I just don't think he's even come close to doing that. You know, he's all these, uh, you know, one score losses kind of have people, you know, they were thinking, oh, we're that close because we're we're in every game. Well, I think that just kind of shows that maybe Zach Taylor can't win a close game. And I think that 
these last games of the year, I think that we're going to see the Bengals struggle even more. I think that, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that they would be better if they had Joe Burrow. That much is obvious, but it's just like they're not going to do well down this stretch, I don't think. And it's just going to be uh, – I think it's just not going to go well for Zach. But um, I think the the one thing I want to see is, you know, improvements from the younger guys and people staying healthy. And if they can do that, I think they can, you know, confidently move on from Zach Taylor this year. I don't know that that they'll make that decision. Yeah, do you guys think that that's actually going to happen? Like, if you had to guess right now? No. I don't think it will. I I don't see how they don't give him a third year. Like, like these are the Browns we're talking about. Are they going to make the, the fiscally responsible thing to do? Probably not. And, like, you know, I certainly – like, two years is certainly enough to say, okay, this is this is not the guy. You know, you know, maybe in the third year he can improve and turn this team into like a, a borderline maybe playoff team. But is Zach Taylor the guy to maximize this window with Joe Burrow? No, he's not. And and I think we we've seen enough both with Joe Burrow on the field and now without Joe Burrow on the field because we saw his offense in 16 games last year without Joe Burrow. And I know you know he had a, a lot of the from the Marvin era, but we've seen enough games both with Joe Burrow and without Joe Burrow to say this is not the guy to maximize this window because the window is pretty much already open. Like it starts this offseason. And, you know, I know he brought some culture change and, you know, maybe got the Browns to spend more money this offseason. Maybe that had something to do with Zach Taylor, but he's just not the guy right now. Yeah, it seems like if if you know, you know. And I think we all just kind of know. We just had that feeling. And it's like it's like Zach is incompetent in in both phases of, of being a head coach the the evaluation part and the actual coaching part. Like he made all these detrimental hires, specifically Jim Turner and Lou Anarumo. I mean, no one wanted to coordinate this defense. He had plenty of time to find someone, and they right. ended up on their, their fifth or sixth candidate, a guy who was not qualified for the job. And he just hired his family member and, and Jim Turner to run the offensive line right into the dirt. So he failed in that department. But also when he had players out there and when he had a, a capable roster to, to win some close games, he made crucial st- strategic errors and just could not coach a, a, a close win to save his life. So I think we all know that, but we also know that the Bengals – are the kings of creating other scapegoats that aren't the head coach and just kind of pushing off the main problems to the side in the last couple of years of the Marvin Lewis era. I remember they, they went through like, like a total of three or four offensive and defensive coordinators for the final years of Marvin Lewis. And they kept, you know, it was Tara Austin, it was Kansas PZ, it was Bill Lazor. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we, I think that's probably going to be what happens in this offseason where they might fire Anaruma, they might fire Turner, they might fire both. They might make some more coaching changes and I think I think Jake said it best, like just still, or excuse me, Blake said it best, just delaying the inevitable because we all kind of know that the central problem is the head coach because he runs everything and he's the, the the manager in charge of this. But obviously the assistants aren't doing him any favorites because they're just not qualified. But he's the one who hired them, so it's like it's like it's the chicken before the egg. Yeah, really, and uh, he he hired his friends. He had his friends, exactly. he had his family, and, and the one thing that I think could keep, like, might keep, like, might end up keeping Zach for his his third year and beyond is whether or not he's going to um, be be reluctant or not of bringing in some new coordinators, like, um, of of him, you know, sending off his friends, sending off his family, and really diving down deep or digging down deep and figuring out, okay, who is the best defensive coordinator that we can get. 
not not my friend, who's the best offensive line coach that we can get and bringing those guys in. But on the other side of it, I'm not sure who wants to come coach this defense. Right. Because again, like you said, no one wanted to coach this defense two years ago. Lou Anaruma was the fourth or fifth or even sixth candidate. We, we don't really know. It, it It took, I think the Bengals were the only team in the league to not have a defensive coordinator at that point in February of 2019. Um, so who's going to want to come coach his defense? Because if Vic Fangio gets fired, which he probably won't, he's not coming. You know, uh, Vance Joseph was rumored a, a, a couple years ago, I believe. He, he's not coming. So who's going to come want to coach this defense? There's also the aspect of if you believe or if, if Zach gets brought back, which we think it might happen, but we think that like 2021 is a make it or break it year. He could easily get fired in the middle of next season, maybe if, if things go sour. And that's another factor that any any assistant coach has to consider when joining here. Like, am I going to want to go, go and coach with this team with the possibility of this coach getting fired in the middle of the season and my job security is on the line, but like eight games in, into my tenure here so it's another fa- it's i think it was james rapine that kind of brought that up on the lockdown Bengals podcast a couple days ago it's like other other coaches are watching what's happening in cincinnati and, and they know that they have a reputation of being patient and trying to establish any sense of continuity but if you don't fire zach now then you you have to make a certain you have to make assurances that th- this thing is going to try to be seen through through the end of 2021 to give those other assistants that they bring in a chance and I think the case the case that I would make the most is I know the the rosters, you know, it's kind of there's it's been messy recently. But I think the case I would make if you fire Zach at the end of this year, and let's say you get a coach that comes in and he ends up doing a good job, well, he will have, you know, he'll have a good first round draft pick. He'll have plenty of draft choices. He'll have plenty of money to spend, and then he'll have Joe Burrow coming into his second year. So you're pretty much already done. Uh, you know, you got your franchise quarterback. So I think that. I think that you're the next head coach that you get if you get rid of Zach Taylor from this season is going to be in a fantastic position to succeed. He'll be able to, you know, get the players he wants, have the draft he wants, and he'll also, you know, have, you won't have to worry about the quarterback position. So I think that getting rid of Zach Taylor at the end of this year and bringing someone else, if they end up being a good coach, they'll have all the tools they need. And I think that that, that would be my case for, you know, getting rid of Zach Taylor at the end of this season because I think if you hold on to him, it's just another off season of, you know, him getting the guys he wants and, you know, free agency and the draft. And then let's say he gets fired six games, eight games into the year next year, then you're left with all the players that Zach Taylor wanted this off season. So I think that they'd be better off making this move sooner rather than later. I definitely agree. <laughs> I mean, it, it's again, like the time has come and I would look to, Cleveland, what they did with Hugh Jackson as, as a slight comparison. Obviously, Zach didn't go one of fifteen and then zero and sixteen. Like he he's won games, but is there really that much of a difference between four wins and one win in two years? And Cleveland made that mistake of bringing Hugh Jackson back for that third year. Everyone thought it was a bad idea, but they they gave him one more chance, you know. And it was also you know shown on a hard knocks that John Dorsey really. <laughs> believed in Hugh Jackson enough to give him the beginning of the third year. And then that obviously failed. He got fired and, you know, Baker played well, but really like that, that Browns team could have been a lot, a lot better. And then they had the Freddie kitchens thing and, and that, that held Baker Mayfield back 
one year before finally figuring out the 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 right coach in Kevin Stefanski, and he's obviously doing a great job. So will the Bengals make the mistake of bringing Zach Taylor back for that third year? Because like you said, John, they could very well end up firing him mid, you know, during the middle of the 2021 season. What does that do to Joe Burrow? Will, will Joe Burrow even be back by that time? Like, why are we bringing Zach Taylor back if Joe Burrow is not going to be ready for for the the opening game of the 2021 season? Is is also I think when you brought up Baker, like like the, the the worst thing that they could have done after firing Hugh Jackson was just hiring the interim coach in Freddie mm-hmm. Kitchens. And I, I like I, I honestly Ali Crow, like I thought Kitchens wasn't that bad of a hire. I thought he worked well with Baker, but that's the danger if you like because I think Joe Burrow has as much leverage with the Bengals right now as Baker Mayfield did back in 2018. When Mayfield said, "I want Kitchens to be the coach," right, and they and they decided that, and they d- they decided to not hire Safansky in that offseason. They just had to wait another year to do it, and that just made him behind one more year. So, I, I, like Taylor's job security is incredibly tied to his relationship with Zach Taylor, and Joe Burrow could just say, "I like Taylor. I want to continue working with him," and they give him that next year. And but if you give your quarterback that much power and control, to, and that could potentially just hamper you know, how far away are you from actually competing because you're not hiring the right guys like th- that, that could be an issue. I, I don't think we're worried about Burroughs ego being in, inflated and, and confluated like, like Baker's was when he was just starting out, but it is a factor to consider because I think if Taylor stays on a lot, a big reason for that is because Joe Burrow likes working with them and the two just have a partnership that they want to continue. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great point because, you know, like, in this day and age in the NFL, if you wanted a you know really good offensive coordinator, you're likely going to have to hire them as your head coach because if they're an offensive coordinator, they can be brought on by another team uh, as a head coach. So I kind of think that's the situation the Bengals you know kind of had with Zach Taylor. I think they liked him offensively and they they wanted him to call the plays, uh, so they brought him in as a head coach. So they wanted to keep him around, and I think that I think that now they they could be you know tied down a little bit for making that move, but I think that. You know, the next guy that would come in after Zach Taylor, it's going to be – they're going to have to have a great relationship with Joe Burrow. And I think that what I've seen from the Bengals has almost been like the coordinators and Taylor, they've been kind of almost stuck in, you know, they're not necessarily philosophy, philosophy, but, you know, the kind of plays they want to call and all that stuff. And I just kind of don't really see them conforming to their strengths and, you know, the players they have. And I think that that's something I like to see with the new coach and hopefully if they get a guy that can come in with Joe Burrow and can hopefully just elevate uh, Burrow from what we've already seen from him. It's lots of good stuff there. Uh, we, we Do we all hope that Taylor is gone? Are we all on that same page from what I'm, I'm getting at? I'm not going to cry if it happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to all say right, Yeah, I, I'm definitely in, in that boat. Like, I'm – I'd still be optimistic to see because Joe Burrow's developed, like he's been, he's done a a great job. So like, that's something that Zach Taylor has done really well is he knows how to get to Joe Burrow and how to, you know, make Joe Burrow look really, really good. But you know, is that just Joe Burrow being Joe Burrow or is it is something else there with Zach Taylor? But I, I think we are all on the same page that we will not be crazy upset if Zach Taylor is no longer with the Cincinnati Bengals for the near future. But because of Zach Taylor, the Bengals have had some pretty um, premier draft picks over the last year or so. And we're looking 
like we're, we're heading towards that for the 2021 draft with the Bengals probably being all but locked in as the third overall pick. We think it's going to be Panay Sewell. We hope it's going to be Panay Sewell. John, we talked a little bit about, or uh, Blake and I talked a little bit about this on the last episode about having the third overall pick. Are you all in on, on Panay Sewell? Because the people saying who he's not like a top 10 or, or top 15 talent, they're crazy. He, he's obviously legit. But are you all in on him? And would you even consider trading down? It's the worst part of, of being of covering a bad team because you have to talk about draft stuff in the November and December. And the earlier you talk <laughs> about draft stuff, the earlier you get into the nonsensical arguments of this guy who's clearly a good player is actually not as good as you think. You know, it, it, it's 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 overthinking at its best. Like Sewell has been an amazing player since like he was 17. And he was like a, a top tackle as a freshman for Oregon right. and you know, there's there's nothing more that you need like it's it's the, it's the Chase Young thing it's the Nick, it's the Nick Bosa thing it's just is he he's good yeah but he's is he is he that good is he is he really worth this is he really like it's it's there's no need to overthink it if the Bengals don't sign another tackle in free agency they're going to need someone like Sewell to come in and play really well and i think he's one of i know i know people are talking about the northwestern dude i don't even know his name i think it's Slater or something like that yeah like i haven't yeah. seen any anything from him but I know people like him, but I think we, we've seen enough from Sewell where like this guy is, is, is the guy that you invest in a top five pick in no, no matter what. Like he's he's just that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm I'm in the same boat. You know, I'm all the way, you know, pretty much locked in on Panay Sewell. I think he should be the choice, even though there's some options, you know, that are a little bit uh tempting, you know, like a trade back where I could get like, you know, Pitts or Darisol or something like that. But even though those are tempting, I think that Panay Sewell is the right choice. I think he puts you in the best position to kind of look at your offensive line and make the right moves, you know, going forward. And I think that even if you take Sewell, there's going to obviously there's a lot more work to be done on the offensive line. I think uh, it looks like Jonah's injury wasn't wasn't as bad as initially thought. So you know, if you got him, I think that if you if he comes back and he's healthy, I think with Sewell and Williams, you're going to have your two franchise tackles. I think that's just a great position to be in with Joe Burrow uh, as your quarterback. So, uh, you know, you get those two, I think you're onto the guard position. You know, you can maybe make some moves in free agency, maybe even uh, a little bit later in the draft, get a guard. But I think Sewell uh, sets you up the most for success because I think that you can kind of work in on your offensive line and figure out the biggest needs from there after you take Sewell. Yeah, so Sewell's certainly spectacular. We expect the Bengals to go that way, especially, I mean, the Jonah Williams injury looked really bad, so we're all pretty lucky that uh, that it seems as if it's it's going to end up not that bad. But still, like, this is this is Jonah's second injury, so just, just for that reason, bring in someone else, whether Jonah's going to move to right tackle or stay at left tackle. I think we all would assume that Sewell's going to play left tackle and Jonah's going to play right tackle because Jonah, you know, can definitely move to right tackle. I'm pretty sure he played right tackle with Bama, if I'm not mistaken, um, for yeah, a, year. a year at right tackle when Leatherwood was at left tackle and Tua was under center. So let's let's keep this moving. I want to talk about the guard position because for the last, it seems like two years, everyone's been on Joe Thune, Joe Thune, Joe Thune. And, and as great as that would be, it's probably not going to happen because we are talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. But, you know, there are some tackles 
that, you know, have gotten some interest in terms of Bengals fans like Taylor Moton from Carolina, a couple of others, you know, Bengals fans wanted Jack Conklin last year. But the one thing that they've been missing is a true guard ever since Kevin Zeitler left, you know, Whitworth left in that free agency too. But ever since Kevin Zeitler left, um, the the Bengals really haven't gotten that production on the interior of the offensive line. The IOL class last year was really good. Bengals went defense. They didn't really address the offensive line at all, other than Akeem Denigy, who has played well at times. But, John, is for you, is the number one need on this team right now, uh, other than, you know, offensive tackle, is it interior offensive lineman? It's just offensive line in general. Like, if your best two players in the offensive line are Jonah Williams and Trey Hopkins, wow. like, that, that's a problem. Because even if Williams is a solid player and so is Hopkins, like, at best, Hopkins is just a league average center, and Williams was going to make mistakes as a rookie. So, like they, they were, they were screwed as soon as they put all their faith in those two guys carrying this group, and they need legitimately two or three new starters. Like, you, if you, if they go out and get two new guys a guard and just throw um, Quinn Spain to the trash, um, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Like for them, for them to, to set their sides higher. But it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like even if they invest in the offensive line in free agency like they should probably still go after Sewell because it's just that big of a need but it's also it, it's depressing a little bit because they just have a lot of needs elsewhere like it's not like they're in a position where they can just only address one position group in free agency if they want to be competitive the next season like i think edge rusher is is just right up there next to them and oh, it's yeah. like the, it's like the 2a need like if especially if carl lawson leaves and it's entirely possible that they do because they may not believe he's worth whatever money that he'll command in free agency. If Lawson's gone and your best edge rusher is Sam Hubbard, you're it's it, it's the league worst situation and it's right up there with the offensive line. So th- that's two extremely premium positions that they have absolute dire needs and would require significant investment to actually fix. So it's offensive line that's definitely in, in the forefront because at the end of the day, if you can't protect Burrow, then you just shouldn't go out there and play NFL football. But it's probably edge rusher and um Maybe cornerback, depending on what to do with William Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that they're kind of at the point where, well, I've been kind of you know looking at the players coming into the draft, and I think that you know their biggest free agent signings would probably be offensive line, and then going from there, their their first three picks in the draft should probably be offense and defensive line. So I think it's going to take a lot uh, this off season just to try to get the right guys in there. You want to get some younger guys that. You have potential, and I think that the best scenario for me is getting Panay Sewell in uh, the first round, and then the second round. Uh, you know, I put the my little edge rusher rankings uh, out yesterday. Ruffled some feathers, <laughs> specifically, and uh, yeah. So the point of that kind of was being that there's going to be plenty of edge rushers in the draft this year that I think are going to be, you know, pretty good players, and I think that. In the second round, they're going to be able to find an edge rusher that's going to be, you know, right up there with someone like Sam Hubbard. I think that you're you can add someone like that, and it can immediately improve your uh, your defensive line a little bit. And then in the, in the third round, there there could be some guard options available there. So I think that you know all their a lot of their resources this offseason should be going towards their offense and their defensive line. And if they do that. They're not done by any means. They have a lot more to do, but I think they're in a much better position if they address those needs now and kind of see what they have going forward. This edge class is really good. I mean, talk about someone like Greg Rozu, who, um, or 
Roseau, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but but I mean, he was consensus edge one a few months ago. He opted out, and then guys like Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, Aziza Ajulari, Patrick Jones, like like this is a really good edge class, and it's a perfect year to need a not maybe just not just one pass rusher, but maybe even two pass rushers. Like Bengals triple down on linebacker last year. There should be no reason why they don't at least double down on an edge rusher this year, especially trading Carlos Dunlap and what's you know inevitable of you know sending Carl Lawson out the door and letting him walk which we all hope doesn't happen but even if Carl Lawson does stay there is still a glaring need for another edge rusher opposite Sam Hubbard opposite um Carl Lawson because we saw when Sam Hubbard got injured the Bengals couldn't get any pressure when he came back they still can't get any uh, any pressure even though Carl Lawson is having a, a pretty pretty solid year you know he's he, he's be, he's pretty productive in terms of pff pressures and you know stuff like that easily leads the Bengals in sack i'm pretty in sacks i'm pretty sure he's the only one with more than two two and a half sacks so there's there's been no pressure to uh, opposing quarterbacks there's been no protection for our quarterbacks and you know we saw with san francisco last year they got carried to the super bowl because of their trenches play their great offensive line and their superb defensive line play and the Bengals don't have any of that right now and that's probably the number one glaring need I look at corner and you know I look at this this cornerback room and all I can see is they're missing their number two of their their number two corner obviously re-signing William Jackson is a number one is a number one priority but like I'm kind of excited to see that this cornerback room with Trey Wayne's back, and if they do re-sign uh, Mackenzie Alexander, which also should be a priority this offseason, it's a pretty solid cornerback room. Maybe, you know, you can dabble in corner, maybe in the third round, but a need for, you know, to, to pick a top-tier corner when, like, this secondary has been playing pretty well without their, their what's their, their second-best corner, I, I don't think that there's a huge need for that. What about you, John? You, you know, in terms of of corner. Yeah, like I, I remember when Wayne's got hurt. Initially, I thought, you know, this is, this is a good opportunity for Darius Phillips to kind of like prove his worth. And we kind of saw, right. like, it, like Phillips is maybe a decent player, but he's just not. He's just not the player that like, like in twenty nineteen, he only played like hundred snaps and he had four interceptions. So like, it, it was almost like the William Jackson effect, where he showed extreme strides early in his career, but it set an unfortunate and unreachable standard for like the majority of his career. And I think Phillips has kind of regressed into just a decent player, but not someone that you can count on as a starter. And when, when he's been out, like it's, it's been even worse with LaShawn Sims out there. So like the, the loss of Waynes has been bigger than I think a lot of us kind of considered it when it first happened. And we've, we've kind of seen the results of it, but the William Jackson situation is going to be the most interesting for me. Like, I, I don't know what his market really is going to be like he's quietly going to be i think 29 years old next october he was a really old like prospect when he first came into the league and this is going to be mm-hmm. his, his fifth or sixth year in the league so I, I don't know how much teams are going to want to invest in a cornerback that's nearing on 30 and a cornerback that is it is a solid cornerback but you know he still had injury issues in the past and you know maybe teams don't see him or view him as a true number one corner and the fact that they already paid trey wayne's like you know, one B money for the cornerback position. I, I don't know what that dynamic is going to be. I, I think they would be best to bring him back, but if they don't, like, like uh, that that knee just skyrockets through the roof as a, a dire one. And even if they do bring him back, how many more quality seasons are you expecting out of William Jackson 
when he enters his 30s and do you expect him to stay healthy and whatnot so that that whole situation is going to be extremely fascinating to me i think it's going to be the one of the biggest decisions with the most repercussions that they're going to face yeah i think you make a great point there because i've been kind of looking at potential moves they can make this offseason and you know at the cornerback room they could either be a pretty solid group next year or just terrible so let's say you lose William Jackson leaves and you end up losing someone like Mackenzie Alexander, which I'm really big on. I think they should keep him. They should try to get him back. But let's say you lose two of those guys. Well, you're in a position to where Trey Waynes and Phillips are about all you got. And then you're going to, that's just going to be another need in the draft. So I think that for best case scenario, best case scenario for me is uh, you get William Jackson back, you get Mackenzie Alexander back, uh, Trey Waynes, hopefully he can, uh, you know, he was playing pretty decent in, in uh, Minnesota. And I, hopefully when he comes back healthy that he can kind of live up to that. And then, you know, get somebody in like the fourth round, fourth or fifth round uh, that can come in there. And then, you know, Darius Phillips, who hasn't been – he hasn't had a great year. But uh, I just don't really see him as someone that, like you said, he's not a very good corner, corner two, like filling in for Trey Waynes. But I think if he's your fourth corner on the roster – I think you're in good shape, bring him in on certain packages. And then from there, you know, you can have like a rookie corner that you got the um, middle rounds that maybe could show potential. So I think that it could either be a really good year, a really good offseason for the Bengals in their cornerback room, or it could be almost a disaster. So hopefully they can figure out uh, a way to get both those guys back and it'll just make it easier on them to figure out who to bring. Yeah, you make a great point about, uh, you know, bringing Phillips in as a fourth or fifth corner in, you know, in different types of sub packages. Darius Phillips, like Lou Anarumo has drawn out some pretty creative blitzes for Darius Phillips this year that have worked. Like he has a 93.4 pass rushing grade on PFF and, you know, everything else is, you know, awful. It's been, been a rough year for, for Darius, but like, I think he had one against Indianapolis, one against Cleveland. And I, and I think a few against Tennessee were, you know, he's getting the quarterback freely. So maybe, you know, like that's something that, that, that Darius Phillips can can specialize in because he's in a pretty good job at that this year. Yeah, and I, I like him, you know, on the team. I don't think he's somebody that, you know, you just want to completely shut out. But I just don't think he's right for the position that he's in right now. I know it's due to an injury, so you can't really blame him for that. But I just – I like him as a – fourth or fifth corner on the roster i think he adds something he's he's good depth and he can play he just he doesn't live up to you know that cornerback to the position he's in right now he doesn't live up to that but hopefully when you get trey wayne's back we can see you know darius phillips in a different role and i think that i think he'll do that role very well i think that he's a really good depth piece i think he can come in on different packages and like you said uh do a little pass rushing i think he's I think he's a good player. I just don't think he's, you know, in the right role in the right position right now due to injury. Uh, well, due to the injury of Trey Waynes. So hopefully that they can figure something out to where you can have Waynes, you can have your slot corner Alexander, you can have your corner one with Jackson, and you can kind of flip Phillips around and put him where you'd like. Yeah. So we're gonna cover lots of more, you know, team needs, draft stuff as we get closer to April and the 2021 draft. You know, Bengals are gonna have some some more premier picks just like last year. So lots of stuff coming on the Bengals report podcast before we, we wrap up, you know, last year, the the two things that everyone knew was coming in terms of Bengals was they were going to cut Cordy Glenn and they were going to either trade Dalton or they were going to 
cut Andy Dalton. They did both those things. They cleared up a ton of cap space. Now, lots of Bengals fans are very interested in, you know, maneuvering the salary cap, figuring out how much cap space we have. And, you know, the consensus is they're going to get rid of Bobby Hart. They're going to find a way to cut Gio. They're going to, you know, CJ Uzama. Um, you know, obviously, Carlos Delnap was part of that. They got him off the books, trading him uh, a few weeks back. So, John, let's – obviously, we all – I think we all probably want Bobby Hart back. He is not the answer I right tackle. He makes a ton of money. The contract extension a couple of years ago made zero sense, but that's a story for another day. So we can settle on the fact that Bobby Hart should be cut to save up. I think it's $6 million. There's definitely an out this year. I, I think it's like 5 or $6 million that they can save. But Giovanni Bernard, now he's taken a huge role this year with the you know subtraction of Joe Mixon being being without Joe. And, you know, Gio, like, as as bad as his team is at running the ball, Giovanni Bernard still has been a huge role this year. But when we expect to get Mixon back and we still have Travion Williams, does Gio have a role on this team going forward? Because we all know what he does in, in the locker room. He's, like, a, a very good presence there. But is is his cap hit worth it? If he's a running back, no. But, I mean, that's his general <laughs> principle. Um, I, I think they – I kind of do think they still value him enough to keep him on the roster. Now, if for a second-string running back, I'm looking at the cap hits right now. That would be a top-10 cap hit for that position. It doesn't make any logical sense. But, I mean, this is the Bengals, and they just value running backs more than just the average team or the average human with a brain. And it, it just it just kind of seems like – I think this year helped them – come back next year with the, with the fact that they signed Joe Mixon to an outrageous four-year contract and then he gets hurt midway through the season and will probably not come back. And then Gio's just kind of taking on the bulk and has worked pretty well, with, with, at least when Joe Burrow was out there and has done has done all he could to try to galvanize any type of running game. Um, it, it wouldn't be the smartest decision from a pure, you know, um, emotionless, like, roster management standpoint. And I do think it would make a lot of sense to cut him. But I'm not so sure that I'm – confident that that's going to happen i think they're going to value what he did this year and and have him finish out that the remainder of that deal in case joe mixon gets hurt next year yeah i'm in the same boat there i just i don't really see it happening i don't like you said from just like a business standpoint it would make it would make a lot of sense uh i think there's like even some guys in the draft this year you know later rounds they could almost fill that role if not travion williams so i think his role uh Running back wise is fillable, and I think it's uh, it's that's one thing. But I think you know the locker room's a different thing. They value him pretty highly in the locker room. He, he's a great guy, and I think that, like you said, they're gonna let him fi- they're gonna let him finish out his contract. And I'm I'm pretty confident he'll be on the roster next year. But yeah, from business standpoints, I think it would make the most sense to kind of part ways there, or at least uh, you know renegotiate or something like that. But I just don't see any of that really happening. One last thing, CJ Uzama. Unfortunately, he did suffer the Achilles injury back in Week Two against Cleveland. But Drew Sample had probably his best career game against Miami. He's been playing, you know, decent. He obviously had that huge game in Cleveland in Week Two after Uzama went down. But he's been pretty productive this year. Is he the future number one tight end if if the Bengals don't get Kyle Pitts? Oof. Like, <laughs> uh, they, God, they drafted him to block. Right. Like, I don't think they drafted him as a number one tight end, even though they took him so high. But oh, I, mean, I think they, I think they knew exactly what they were getting, but they still took him 
as early as they did, which was inexcusable. It's like if if Drew Sample is your number one tight end, it, it, you just like I, tight end's weird because it, it seems like unless you have a, a Travis Kelsey or a Gronk, the position's kind of you know relevant, I guess. But but like like a Kyle Pitts could change that dynamic completely, right? But it's like, do you want to do you want to invest in that when you have? Major needs at edge and offensive line. There's actually good players worth that pick there. So that, that's a whole other conversation. But I just, I just feel like if Drew Sample is your, is your number one tight end, your offense is like that. You're just taking an L of that position. And I feel like if Uzoma comes back strong or recovers well with the Achilles, I feel like he'll be on the team next season. Especially because I think he, I mean, he in the first two games he he was connecting with Burrow um, pretty right. good. And I think he caught his first touchdown too. So. Yeah, it, it, it's also the same thing. Like, I think he's valued as highly as Gio is in that locker room. So even if you know he, they would save money doing it, I think that's just one of those that he probably just stays on. And I mean, going for twenty twenty two when that's like the last year's contract, I think that's no, no, yeah, twenty twenty one is the last year. So yeah, I think I think he'll finish it out. Yeah, and I agree there. I think that you know, I think if you lose CJ Uzama, I think you're pretty thin at the position. Even though I like Drew Sample, I just you know, personal preference, I'd like them to get in someone like – I know there's really no one like Evan Ingram, but someone to that type, just like a vertical receiving tight end, just someone that can, you know, catch the ball and get downfield. It's a little different from Drew Sample, even though he's – you know, at times he's capable of, uh, you know, having some good plays. But I think that if you get like an athletic vertical tight end, some something like that to pair with Drew Sample, who's – you know, he can mostly block. He's been – a really good blocking tight end this year. So I think that if, you know, they do eventually part ways with CJ Uzama, which I think that that'll happen after next year, uh, not this year. So if that happens, I think that they can fill that role kind of with a, you know, more athletic catching tight end to kind of pair with your sample. So I think that's the route that they should take. I don't know if that's the route they will take that. Yep. I pretty much agree there. Like, again, Uzama definitely has had some connection with Joe Burrow. I mean, we only saw a game and a half, and in that game and a half, he certainly did look productive. And, you know, the more tight ends, the better, really. Like, because the Bengals need to create cap space, and I think they will because they're going to cut Bobby Hart. We we hope that they cut Bobby Hart. But um, they definitely have other ways to maneuver the cap, they could restructure Tyler Boyd. I I, I think I've talked to, to to people about the the possibility of doing that. But you know, cutting these veteran guys, I think it, it, if you're trying to build a culture, and especially if 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 Zach Taylor stays for his third year, you want these these locker room guys, you know, that that are bought in to the product and want to be there. You can't just cut them just to you know save three three four million dollars. So Geo Uzama, I definitely think that that they should stick around, but that's all we have for you guys on this episode of the Bengals report podcast. Thanks John Sheeran for joining us today. Make sure to follow him, John underscore Sheeran, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake circus, follow Blake at Blake jewel NFL, and then follow our Bengal report, Twitter at Bengals report underscore. Thank you all for listening. And we will catch you next time.